here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811. Hello, 877-381-3811. Man, oh, Manischewitz, do we have a lot tonight? Hello, a lot. We have a couple of great guests in hour three as well, including President Trump's documents lawyer and our buddy Ian Pryor with the release by the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government and the House Judiciary Committee. We've got a lot to get into, and I'm going to get into all of it. But first, I want to start with this issue of the targeting of parents. Just to underscore the tyranny that we are living under with this buffoonish Attorney General who is a complete political hack. Katie Pavlich, writing at Town Hall, a new report published by the Select Committee, shows extensive collusion between the Biden administration and the National School Board Association. You may recall, you loyal listeners out there, that this story was actually first surmised by me that this had to be involved, and then it began to break. There was no way, no way, a letter could have been produced this fast when it was received at the White House on a Friday and they put out their memo on a Monday without collusion. The partnership came as the group drafted a letter calling on the Department of Justice to classify parents as domestic terrorists. You remember that letter? The letter also asked Attorney General Meritless Garland to use the Patriot Act implemented after 9-11 to go after parents expressing criticism over school lockdowns, critical race theory, inappropriate sexual content in the classroom. Internal executive branch documents indicate the Biden administration's use, says the committee, of federal law enforcement and counterterrorism resources as an example of government weaponization against American parents. If the Justice Department performed any due diligence prior to the issuance of the Attorney General's memorandum, 
It would have understood clearly and forcefully that federal intervention was unwarranted because that due diligence did not occur and the administration acted out of political motivations rather than for law enforcement reasons. Parents around the country had FBI assessments opened into them, the report states. Got that, parents? The report, which is interim as the committee continues to investigate, gives a detailed timeline of how the National School Board Association worked with the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, and the White House to push for federal law enforcement into, into the, uh, to investigate parents. The National School Board Association collaborated with the Biden White House to develop the language in their letter, September 29, 2021, to Biden. So they colluded with the White House to send a letter to the White House urging the use of federal law enforcement and counterterrorism tools, including the Patriot Act, against parents. The National School Board Association shared the draft language of its letter with the White House, which apparently raised no concerns with the reference to counterterrorism tools or the inclusion of the Patriot Act, the report says. Five days after the National School Board Association letter to President Biden on October 4, Attorney General Garland issued a memorandum that inserted federal law enforcement into local school board meetings. Attorney General Garland established a task force, including the department's National Security Division, with responsibility for enforcing federal counterterrorism statutes to examine school board-related threats and highlighted the FBI's National Threat Operations Center to serve as a snitch line for tips about parents at school board meetings. By the way, this is still going on. Now, after the letter became public... The National School Board Association, and by the way, we helped do that too. The National School Board Association apologized. A number of school districts ditched the organization. During testimony at Capitol Hill, Garland has denied any wrongdoing by the Department of Justice. Well, there's a lot of wrongdoing by the Department of Justice. You just unleashed federal law enforcement against parents. Well, I want to salute Landmark Legal Foundation for taking the lead on a big aspect of this and spending months and resources developing information that was eventually used by this committee. Shortly after the release of the Garland memo, Landmark Legal filed a Freedom of Information Act request to obtain the records and reports from the United States Attorney's Office meetings. These reports are important sources to corroborate the actual extent of threats to public school officials. So what Landmark said is, oh, really? You're doing all this? You get all these threats? Well, let's look into all these threats. Given their attendance by a broad cross-section of law enforcement agencies, the United States Attorney's Office, which is in Maine Justice, their meetings are also an important lens into the government's treatment of potentially protected speech activities. Landmark wanted to know whether federal law enforcement had undertaken any actions that improperly hindered citizens' First Amendment rights. They also wanted to know whether the Department of Justice meetings expressed political intent to accommodate the National School Board Association's concern. And following months of stonewalling by the Department of Justice, Landmark finally obtained 127 pages of reports submitted by the U.S. Attorney's Offices 
to the office of the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. Now, the Deputy Attorney General is an old Obama hack. In my view, she's the invisible hand. She's this Fengali running the department. And so Landmark published these documents in their entirety on their website. Now, the executive summary that they've put out, they say, despite the hysterical rhetoric from the National School Board Association, the United States Attorney's offices, with very few exceptions, reported no increase in criminal threats directed towards school board members. The Democrats, the media, have talked about these threats. There were no increase in criminal threats directed towards school board members, period. These reports show that parents never posed a substantial threat to public safety. I'm quoting from their findings. Citizen engagement at school board meetings almost entirely falls under the protection of nonviolent First Amendment protected speech. And the records show the fallacy of Garland's claim it was necessary to mobilize federal law enforcement against specious complaints of, quote, threatening, unquote, speech. There were four major categories of reports submitted by the United States Attorney's Office, their offices, 93 of them, in response to Garland memo. A plurality of these reports, totaling 31 offices, explicitly stated they had identified no threats. Two, many reports, totaling 27, stated they found nothing notable worth reporting to the Deputy Attorney General. Three, 13 of the offices' reports were rather vague and noncommittal, sticking to procedural summaries of their meetings, while neither confirming nor denying the presence of threats. Number four, only four offices reported any relevant threats in their jurisdiction. In each of these districts, no more than one threat was identified in any detail. It's troubling, however, that two of these four U.S. attorneys' offices reported the mobilization of anti-terrorism resources to combat the perceived dangers of these threats. So out of 93 total U.S. attorney jurisdictions, they found four threats. 15,000 school systems. And yet you would have thought that this was a a systematic problem that was taking place. Systematic. Landmark goes on. Many U.S. attorneys, to their credit, noted a commitment to the First Amendment and its values and a promise to intervene in what is properly a state law enforcement matter only for violent criminal threats covered by federal law, as shown in the Garland Memo or the National School Board Association letter which prompted this investigation, the definition of criminal can be somewhat arbitrary in the eyes of politically motivated law enforcement agencies. Even so, the explicit affirmation of free speech principles in the reports shows that many U.S. attorneys' offices recognize the controversial, if not unconstitutional, implications of the Garland Memo. Taken in their entirety, these offices' reports show the Biden Justice Department issued the unprecedented Garland Memo purely for political purposes. Purely for political purposes. And it goes into great detail. I believe this is on their website. 
that they had um, no criminal activity to report, no actual criminal activity to report. There were four threats in the whole country. Other United States attorney's offices responded in a very skeptical tone to the memo. Um, there were some non-committal reports where they just kind of blew off the request and so forth. And, um, you know, what's interesting is the media could have done this. The New York Times could have pursued this. It did not. The Washington Post, this is all in their backyard. They could have pursued this. They did not. See, censorship is not just what you choose to report. It's what you choose not to report. Across the several categories of response, dozens of U.S. attorneys declared their intentions to never interfere with the First Amendment protected speech. And this, these are Democrats. Because they foiled the offices, every single one of them. The presence of these statements emphasizes that most federal law enforcement officers understand the tenuous constitutional grounds of the Garland Memo. The Western District of Texas, for example, quote, underscored they are sworn to uphold the Constitution. It is not their intent to interfere with individual rights of assembly and free speech. District of Idaho emphasized, quote, that law enforcement will not interfere with and will protect spirited debate about policy matters and peaceful protests. Other districts included similar language in the reports. Ryan Buchanan's North District of Georgia, for example, may seek to better align their practices with their claim that their directives are not intended to chill free speech. And it goes on. So what's their conclusion? And again, all their charts and all their findings are in the memo. And obviously were used by this subcommittee. And they had to litigate to get the information. The United States Attorney's Office's reports obtained through Landmark's FOIA request illustrate the need for further investigation and debate on questions raised by the Garland memo. Federal law enforcement and the various U.S. attorney's offices reported few incidences of credible threats against school officials. And yet, several jurisdictions have, through their use of federal counterterrorism resources, reinforced the National School Board Association's false and outrageous claim that unruly parents at school board meetings may embody, quote, a form of domestic terrorism, unquote, by any measure. The reports of the United States attorneys in response to the Garland memo demonstrate that the Biden Justice Department deployed the full resources of federal law enforcement to intimidate parents and silence political speech. This was an outrageous abuse of power. Landmark's investigation will continue. I love those guys. I worked with for all those decades. So there was no reason for the Garland memo. It was unconstitutional. There was no reason Tunleash, the National Security Unit, the Civil Rights Unit, the Criminal Division, 93 U.S. Attorney's Offices to put up a terrorism, domestic terrorism hotline for people to call. They had no examples of terrorism. They had no examples of threats, really. And they did it anyway. The Deputy Attorney General and the Attorney General of the United States 
course they should be impeached. They should resign. They are corrupt. They are political. They are hacks. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. Well, it looks like it goes on and on and on. Uh, Joe Biden had an event for Women's History Month. We had the International Day of the Woman. Do we ever get Men's History Month or the International Day of Men? I'm not familiar with it if we do. But here again, I have to raise the question, what is Women's History Month? Did anybody ask Joe Biden... Can you define what a woman is? Hmm? Can you define what a woman is? Now we know you're accused of molesting one. We know your son knows what a woman is. uh, Having hired multiple prostitutes. And of course, giving birth out of wedlock. Another woman. And then of course dating his late brother's wife and then dating his late brother's wife's sister. So he obviously knows what a woman is. The question is whether Joe does because obviously Justice Jackson didn't. She needed a biologist. I'll be right back. I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. 
Well, a couple of things in the uh, let's get Trump news today. Let's start with Manhattan. As you've heard by now, no doubt, uh, the grand jury was told to stay home, but to be poised in case they're called in. People are trying to read the tea leaves. What does that mean? I will tell you what that means. It means one of two things or both. It means there's disagreement in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office between the Soros-appointed hack rogue DA and the career staff, and or it means that Bragg and his staff doesn't think they can get a majority of the grand jurors to go along with their, with their plot. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, they're watching TV and listening to radio. But more than that, They had testimony from a very serious witness, Robert Costello, former federal prosecutor, longtime defense lawyer in New York. And as Just the News reports it, a lawyer who formally advised Michael Cohen alleges that in 2018, by my calculation, a little over four years ago, the ex-Trump advisor claimed to know nothing about the former president committing wrongdoing, including on hush money to women. Now, Unlike the federal case in Washington, which I'll get to in a moment, Michael Cohen waived attorney-client privilege on his own. It wasn't compelled by a judge. An attorney who advised disgraced Trump organization lawyer writes Nick Givas and John Solomon, Michael Cohen provided Manhattan prosecutors with voluminous documentation including contemporaneous emails and memos purporting to show that in 2018, Cohen wanted Donald Trump to help cover his legal bills and repeatedly claimed he had no evidence incriminating the former president in a hush money deal with porn actress Stormy Daniels. Cohen said he had no information against Trump. One memo summarizing attorney Costello's interactions with Cohen stated, these are called contemporaneous notes. They're very powerful or contemporaneous evidence. That memo, dated April 2019, recounted Costello's interview with federal prosecutors about conversations he and colleagues had with Cohen a year earlier. Costello, a former federal prosecutor who has represented famous clients like George Steinbrenner, Leona Hemsley, Rudy Giuliani, and Steve Bannon, told Just the News on Tuesday he provided Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office with more than 300 pages of emails, memos, and texts chronicling his dealings with Cohen. He said his documents showed Cohen took out a bank loan known as HELOC, H-E-L-O-C, on his own during the 2016 presidential election to pay Stormy Daniels $130,000 under a non-disclosure agreement. No, no, it's hush money. Under a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, so she would remain quiet about her alleged relationship with the president. Cohen bragged he kept the situation quiet so that Melania Trump and Cohen's own wife wouldn't learn about it, Costello said in an interview on the John Solomon Reports podcast. He said, I didn't believe the information, but I knew that this was a situation that would cause embarrassment, so this is... uh, Costello talking about what Cohen told him. So I negotiated with this lawyer, and we worked out an NDA for the payment of $130,000. And I said, did you get that money from Donald Trump? No. Did you get it from any Trump organization? No. 
I said, did you take the money out of your own savings or checking? No. I said, well, how'd you get the money? He said, I took out a HELOC loan, H-E-L-O-C. Why would you take out a HELOC loan to cover something like this? And he said, because I wanted to keep it secret. If I took money from my account, my wife would know about it. If I didn't want my wife to know about it, I didn't want Melania Trump to know about it. That's why I did it that way. Now, if you're going to do it that way, that means you're keeping it from Donald Trump and Melania Trump, Costello added, summarizing the story he offered grand jurors and Manhattan prosecutors. You see, this key witness with a stellar background, just throw a turd, threw a turd in the prosecutor's swimming pool. In a 2019 summary of Costello's interview with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District of New York, Costello alleged that in 2018, Cohen wanted to talk to Giuliani, then a lawyer for the 45th president, about getting Trump or his insurance company to pay Cohen's legal bills. Yes, during the long conversation on June 23, 2018, Cohen asked me to talk to Giuliani and ultimately Trump about Cohen applying to Aon Insurance under the DNO policy to pay his legal fees. And Cohen did not want the big guy to oppose Cohen's request, Costello said. Costello also provided a contemporaneous email with a colleague from June 2018, which he recounted his conversations with Cohen about Giuliani and payment of legal bills. He asked me to communicate with Rudy and have him tell the president that all of these stories about cooperating are BS. To tell him that he's not talking to reporters, he's not talking to friends. These stories from sources are fiction. Of course he was. I believe the issue for Cohen is money, Costello explained in the email. Who's going to pay for these lawyers? Cohen did not respond to requests by email or text from Just the News for comment. His lawyer, Lanny Davis, Lanny, declined to answer questions, instead offering an attack on one of the reporters in this story. In interviews with MSLSD, Cohen acknowledged having contacts with Costello, but suggested the former prosecutor was, quote, making up stories, unquote, to the grand jury and carrying out a typical Trump play. Oh, really? He's got notes from 2018 and 2019. What do you have, moron? What do you have? In those interviews, Cohen also claimed he did not believe he had waived his attorney-client privilege from his conversations with Costello. I don't recall waiving anything, he said. But again, this is, I don't know what he's talking about. You see his problem? I don't know what he's talking about. But I didn't waive privilege. But one of the documents that Costello provided the Justin News shows that Cohen signed a declaration in 2019 for federal prosecutors waiving any claim of privilege from his interactions with Costello. Although I do not believe that any of my communications with Costello or other lawyers at DHC are subject to attorney-client privilege, he said, I hereby waive whatever attorney-client or other privilege that might be argued have attached to such communications. That is a Michael Cohen declaration signed on February signed on February 2019, and they attach the document to the story. The back and forth between Costello and Cohen is just one of many signs. Experts said the Bragg's office is going to face challenges if it brings an indictment and state charges against Trump based on the testimony of his former lawyer, who pled guilty to making false statements to Congress and other crimes and served time in prison. 
Using Cohen as a witness would be the greatest gift to Trump. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz told Just the News. If they're smart, they'll try to work around Cohen, try to pick some of the other witnesses. Maybe some tapes. I don't think they're going to put Cohen on the witness stand. He's making some of this stuff up, Costello says of Cohen. He's embellishing. Costello said he told grand jurors that Cohen appeared distraught when they first met in the spring of 2018 in a hotel, that he even talked to committing suicide. He said he repeatedly asked Cohen if he had incriminating evidence on Trump that could be used to get Cohen a plea deal, and that Cohen repeatedly said he did not. Even a serial liar tells the truth once in a while, Costello said, and when a person like Michael Cohen is an extremist, he's ready to kill himself. That's the one time that he's going to give up Donald Trump if he had something at that point in time, but he did not. Costello's account in the interview Tuesday matches what he told Congress during the Russia collusion investigation against Trump. And it goes on. So he's got contemporaneous emails and texts. He's got documents. He's got a declaration in which attorney-client privilege is waived and signed by Cohen. Why are they even still thinking about this case? First of all, there is no case. There's no illegality. There's no crime. State or federal. Well, that misdemeanor, there's no crime. State or federal. This is a non-disclosure agreement. That's the beginning and the end of it. There's no federal crime. There's no state crime. Well, if he put it was a legal expense, but what? But he said, Trump said from the beginning in this Costello, undergirds his point. They didn't pay for it. That he didn't pay for it. And he didn't. Cohen did. And then he wanted legal fees paid for it. He wanted a reimbursement. And then there's reports that he wanted a pardon. And so now Trump is the victim. And of course, nobody talks about Stormy Daniels and the fact that she violated a non-disclosure agreement. She got $130,000 and violated the Michael Cohen non-disclosure agreement, the Michael Cohen hush money. So what kind of witness would she be? Very poor. So the state law... No good. Federal law, no good. You got Cohen contradicted a thousand ways by a stellar witness, his former attorney, where he waived attorney-client privilege, and then you have Stormy Daniels. That's what you've got. Now we have a, an appellate court in Washington, D.C., not the full court, a panel, and it's interesting. I've been looking for what judges sit on this panel, three-judge panel has ruled against President Trump in record time, upholding the decision by the Obama judge last Friday, who ruled in record time, um, this court, uh, that the Donald Trump's lawyer, Cochran, must testify in front of Jack the Ripper Smith's grand jury, and the lawyer, as it turns out, has to turn over the notes. The judge did not do that, as I mistakenly said the other day. But I didn't say it because I meant it. said it because the article said it. 
But now we clarify. Either way, it doesn't matter. Now, normally these things take months. So why would this panel give Donald Trump's lawyers till midnight last night and give the Department of Justice till 6 a.m. this morning to make their arguments and then rule two hours ago? Why would they do that? We don't know. We'll have to wait for the next leak from the special counsel's office or the court to tell us why. But what's the rush? Nobody knows. Nobody knows until the government leaks. And they're not going to leak that. Because it doesn't do them any good. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. I should point out, America, that over at Gateway Pundit, Greg Jarrett said that, uh, in so many words, Costello went into that grand jury room, and it was obvious that the grand jury did not have access to hundreds of pages of his material that he gave to the district attorney's office. Now, that is shocking, what's going on here. Now, I want to warn you and remind you of something. What's going to happen here is all these former feds are going to unite in their condemnation of the case of Manhattan because they know it's a loser. But they're also going to unite in their argument that the case in Georgia is strong, unlike Manhattan. And they're also going to argue that the case in uh, Washington, D.C., whichever case you choose, January 6th, those are strong, too. So don't. A lot, of the, a lot of these people are Svengali's. A lot of these people are two-faced, okay? A lot of these people just follow the crowd. So you got to be careful with so-called legal analysts, a.k.a. legal analysts. So you have a lot of these never-Trumpers dressed up as prosecutors just because they take a close shave and put makeup on and wear a tie doesn't mean you can trust them. Who are dumping all over Bragg, who deserves to be dumped all over. But if you listen to what they say out of the other side of their mouth, they're building up Georgia and they're building up Washington, the prosecutors there. Which is really appalling. I want you to keep that in mind. And look how the courts are working in Washington, D.C. 
you never have courts work this fast. Never. To have a panel of the circuit court in Washington. By the way, that, that court in Washington, D.C., they did to that court what they've been wanting to do to the Supreme Court. They added a number of seats and then packed it with left-wing Democrats. That was done by Obama and Harry Reid. They expanded the circuit court, which didn't need any more judges. The court that Meritless Garland sat on, they expanded the numbers, then packed it with Democrats, left-wing Democrats. And so you get rulings like this. That court used to be pretty straight, pretty down the middle. Not anymore. Now it's quite liberal. I just thought I would point that out. Because they ruled in record time, like we've never seen before, in hours, to uphold the Obama judge in the lower court. She issues her ruling, then she retires. And she's replaced by another Obama judge. And these chief judges are responsible for all the motions litigation that occurs in the grand jury. They assign that power to themselves. And Donald Trump has never won a single one. Not one. Gee, I wonder why. Does he have bad lawyers? No, he has great lawyers. We have bad judges. You know that's possible. Did you know judges are flesh and blood? Do you know throughout history, judges have been brilliant, and they've also been stupid? That judges have been very ethical and very unethical? That judges have been crooks and haven't paid their taxes? That judges have colluded with presidents behind the scenes. Yeah, it's true. And I'm talking about Supreme Court justices. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, here's the thing. These interviews, which try and pit Trump and DeSantis against each other, and try and create a mud wrestling event. I'm not into that. And I don't do it. That's not what I do. I do substance. We get tremendous ratings on this radio show, on our podcast. Our numbers are very significant. We're the number one show Sunday night and Saturday nights on Fox, week in, week out, year in, year out. Why? Because I respect my audience. I 
And so my attitude is, you want to learn about these candidates? You want to know where they stand on the issues? You want to know how they govern? That's going to affect your life. So DeSantis and Trump are the two leading candidates right now, according to everybody. And that makes sense. My concern is we're going to need every vote in 2024 to win. Every damn one. So we have some people who literally support Russia and Putin. And I went back and checked, Mr. Producer, and they said they did. They said they did. Uh, Writing columns, making statements, whatever. And rather than engaging in a debate, in an argument, they try to build their readership. If they have columns, they try to build their, their presence. Not through debate, but by trying to destroy constitutional conservatives. Trying to make up something new. Populism, nationalism. And they are going to elect Joe Biden or a Democrat. Because there's not enough of them. They're not intellectuals. They think they are. They're not opinion leaders. They think they are. They're in a small circle. They're a bunch of circle schmucks, may I say. They talk to each other. That's number one. Number two, I don't do this show or any show trying to score points against potential candidates who I like. In other words, if it's a Larry Hogan or a Chris Christie, you know, screw those guys. I'm talking about conservatives. I just do things differently. I know who's in my audience. You. I know that most of you don't like the infighting. Not because you're Pollyannas or naive, but because you want to win. You don't want to lose. You want to win. The country's at stake. Dennis Preger had a great piece on this. I forget where it was. That these people are no better than the never-Trumpers. Because they'd rather lose based on their positions, which are not even necessarily conservative positions, than win. Which means the country's doomed. Because we're facing this Marxist movement or these movements, these forces. So I'm not your typical host or commentator. I know they're really enjoying this and they're pushing. There's Piers Morgan. He does these kinds of interviews. It attracts audience. And they're very entertaining. I have no doubt about it. This certainly isn't a criticism of him. This is more a criticism of everybody who's jumping into this. And playing clip after clip after clip after clip because they want that out there. Ron DeSantis told me about his leadership process. It got absolutely no attention outside the interview. 
he distinguished himself from Donald Trump in that regard. But it wasn't done in a way that was rude or hostile or anything of the sort. He said, this is what I do, this is how I do it, and so forth and so on. In fact, it was very interesting. And he's been enormously successful. But I feel a lot of people in radio who have columns and TV, this is their bread and butter. They live for this. I don't live for it. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I try to write serious books. We have serious discussions. We have fun and it's entertaining and so forth. But I'm not the New York Times. I'm not the Washington Post. I'm not these supermarket newspapers, if they still even have them. Yes, I go to the supermarket all the time, but I haven't looked. Who live in this world of, can I create controversy? Can I create news? I'm not interested in creating controversy or creating news. And so these people are not doing us any favors. They're simply not. The issues are crucially important right now. We have a a significant divide among conservatives and pseudo-conservatives, among constitutionalists and populists that needs to be debated and confronted and challenged. And then, of course, we have this unbelievable divide between those of us who love America and those who hate America. Between those who believe in capitalism and those who believe in economic socialism. Between those who believe in Americanism and those who are Marxists and believe in Marxism of some sort. And now we're going to live and die by the polls too? Haven't we learned from this? Every damn election cycle. The polls. Who's leading? Who's behind? Who cares? Don't get sucked into this. Because when I meet most of you, you don't like it. You don't like it. Duking it out on substance is a good thing. Now, when I brought this up a month or six weeks ago, the New York Times got very upset with me. Maggot Haberman decided that she would jump in. All of a sudden, there's Maggot from the New York Slimes. And from her perspective, I guess I don't, Mark doesn't really know Donald Trump. I mean, he's, you know, look how he's, yes, I do know Donald Trump, and I know Ron DeSantis, and I know most of these people. It has nothing to do with anything. I'm using my voice, and I'm using my platform to suggest that we need to do things a little bit differently so we can win. Not abandon our principles, not abandon our founding like the progressive nationalists. Or the populists. Don't abandon our principles. Explain them. Fight for them. Debate them. That doesn't mean we don't adjust. It doesn't mean we're not flexible. It does mean we're not going to abandon them. Because we're right. But we don't have to accept the narratives that are created by, by hosts 
or by commentators or by news platforms, most of whom hate our guts. We don't have to accept that. And in fact, we can urge something else. I get people who tell me, can't you please call so-and-so candidate and tell them X? I'm telling everybody X right now behind the microphone. And it's probably worthless. It probably won't matter. Because people are as they are. And they're going to do what they want to do. I'm just advocating on behalf of us. You in this audience, you and my other audiences, the different platforms. I know what you want because you tell me. That's what's great about talk radio. That's what's great about Levin TV. You tell me what you want. And I want the same thing. Not because I put a wet finger in the air and see which way the wind's blowing, but because I say the same thing. When I'm at a diner and somebody comes up and they're solid as a rock, and I get to know these people all the time, and not just one diner, not just one state, or from walking through a supermarket or a grocery store, people come up to me. Who do you support? Is it, they always say, Trump or DeSantis. And then they say, can't you get Trump to stop saying X? Or they'll say something like, do you think DeSantis will fight back? Or do you think he'll keep his powder dry? And I misjudged. I said, I think he'll keep his powder dry. But apparently, and understandably, you can only take so much. But all that aside, it's not my job here to stoke all this stuff. It's not my job here to pour fuel on the fire. It's not my job to provoke. It's not the way I view it. I'm not opposed to other people doing whatever they want to do. That's not what I'm going to do. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, folks, we got a lot of breaking information uh, going on here. Uh, let me see if I can do this. I can. I'm uh, I'm a quasi-professional. Therefore, I know what I'm doing. 
Federal Election Commission Office of Complaints Examination and Legal Administration dated February 8, 2018. The signator is Stephen Ryan, counsel for Michael Cohen. Dear Mr. Jordan, not Jim Jordan, the person that runs the FEC, I'm writing on behalf of my client, Michael D. Cohen, in response to your letter dated January 30, 2018. Specifically, this letter responds to the complaint which was filed with the FEC by Common Cause and Paul S. Ryan. Would that be Paul Ryan? I don't know. In a private transaction in 2016 before the U.S. presidential election, Mr. Cohen used his own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Miss Stephanie Clifford. That is Stormy Daniels. Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Miss Clifford, and neither reimbursed Mr. Cohen for the payment directly or indirectly. Contrary to the allegation in the complaint, the allegations are entirely speculative. Neither Mr. Cohen nor Essential Consultants LLC made any in-kind contributions to Donald Trump for president or any other presidential campaign committee. Mr. Cohen has not been a government employee during any of the relevant time period. In other words, not a snitch. The payment in question does not constitute a campaign contribution or expenditure, and therefore... The FEC lacks jurisdiction over this matter. The complainants have not and cannot present any evidence to the contrary. Accordingly, the the complaint should be dismissed. Please contact me at your earliest convenience if you have any questions regarding this letter. Now it seems like an open and shut case, does it not, Mr. Producer? This is a letter to a federal agency stating on the record, and presumably under penalty of 18 U.S.C. 1001, because this is an FEC inquiry, uh, that it was a private transaction, that President Trump was unaware of it, that the Trump organization and campaign were not a party to it, that Mr. Trump was not a party to it, and therefore it could not be an illegal campaign contribution. The letter is dated February 8, 2018. Now, what Mr. Costello has been saying is that Mr. Bragg has been cherry-picking his quote, quote-unquote, cherry-picking information, and that he doesn't believe that the grand jury has had access to all of his documents. Now, it would appear to be the case And in a case like that, the prosecutor should be under investigation. Not just under state law for withholding information and so forth, but obstruction of justice. Because obviously President Trump can't get due process under the federal constitution. This is a disgrace. I read you the letter. That letter is not a smoking gun letter. That letter is a five-alarm fire letter in which Cohen's own lawyer at the time says exactly what Donald Trump has said. And it corroborates with what his other lawyer, Mr. Costello, has said 
about what Cohen told him. This case is over. There never was a case. There never was a state law violation. There never was a federal law violation. It is a non-disclosure agreement. They've tried to humiliate President Trump. This has gone on for days. This is another dead end. Next will come Georgia, likely, where the Georgia prosecutor is coming up with a bunch of fanciful, strongly named statutes that she wants to apply because Donald Trump, as I understand the reported allegations, already said, you know, find some votes, find some votes. Find some votes is a crime? You have to have what's called mens rea, a specific intent, a mindset to commit a crime. Find some votes is not get votes any way you can. I'll pay for votes. I don't care what you do, break the law. They don't have any of that. None of it. Even though they actually recorded what he was saying. Find the votes. Or find votes. As I understand it. So what? You've got Democrat operatives in every state looking for votes, finding votes, trying to change the voting laws to find votes. Why do you think they're counting after the fact to find votes? Why do you think? Why do you think they don't want voter IDs to find votes? And worse. And worse. Find votes. Then you got the schmuck in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump can't even get a fair trial. Not with the jury pool. Not with the leaks that have taken place. Not with the fact that now his own lawyer apparently has to work for the prosecution. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. Paul S. Ryan is not the Paul Ryan. He is a left-wing Democrat hack lawyer, as you can imagine. I want to thank my buddy, Seton Motley. He's a good man. No, Seton Motley, not that Paul S. Ryan guy. 
Well, let's see what's happening in paradise out here, especially for the populist, nationalist, pacifists. In a brother act with Putin, Xi reveals China's fear of containment. This is New York Slimes. China's leader Xi Jinping flew into Moscow this week, cast by Beijing as its emissary for peace in Ukraine. A summit with President Vladimir Putin of Russia, however, demonstrated that his priority remains shoring up ties with Moscow to gird against what he sees as a long campaign by the United States to hobble China's, China's ascent. Talk of Ukraine was overshadowed by Xi's vow of ironclad solidarity with Russia as a political, diplomatic, economic, and military partner, two superpowers aligned in countering American dominance and a Western-led world order. The summit showed Xi's intention to entrench Beijing's tilt toward Moscow against what he recently called an effort by the United States at the full-fledged containment of China. Oh yeah, we're trying to contain China, aren't we? Xi and Putin used the pop of the three-day state visit that ended on Wednesday today to signal to their pubics, I mean publics, and to Western capitals that the bond between their two countries remains robust and in their eyes, indispensable. Thirteen months after Putin launched his evasion in Ukraine, they laid out their vision for the world in a nine-point joint statement that covered everything from Taiwan to climate change and relations with Mongolia, often depicting the United States as the obstacle to a better, fairer world. Here we have two genocidal maniacs. And but for you and me, you see, the world will be a paradise. Looks like a strategic plan for a decade or even more. It's not a knee-jerk reaction to the war in Ukraine, said Alexander Korolev, a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales in Australia, who studies Chinese-Russian relations, noting the statement's repeated criticism of the United States, he said, the threat is no longer implicit and hypothetical. It is very explicit. Discussion of China's murky proposal to end the war in Ukraine appeared only in the last section of their joint statement, offering no specifics about a way forward. In other words, it was a ruse. In a warning to Western countries supporting Ukraine, it said that any settlement to the crisis must, quote, prevent the formation of confrontational blocks that add fuel to the flames. Instead, the leaders talked of plans to enhance economic cooperation and draw more Chinese investors to Russia. They declared their admiration for each other's authoritarian rule. Was she going as far as endorsing Putin for another term in power? Because, you know, there's a big communist Chinese vote in Russia indicating to Russians that he was sure that they should back Putin in elections a year away. Xi Jinping, in effect, launched the re-election campaign for Putin, said Maria Reptica, a scholar at Georgia State University who studies political communication in China and Russia. Seems like an important signal that highlights the extent of their friendship and that he's really rooting for Putin. But while Xi sought to show China's commitment to Russia, he stopped short of writing Putin a blank check of support. Nobody's going to write Putin a blank check of support. They're going to give him a ton of support under the radar and then deny it when it's exposed. Don't they understand how the communists work? Don't they? 
China also calibrated the language used to describe its relationship with Russia. Still, the symbolic support that Xi and Putin offered each other will have its own value for each. It's not symbolic support. See, the writer starts to fall off the cliff. This is an axis. It's also an axis with Iran and North Korea. They've already picked off Saudi Arabia. That is a big problem. Because Trump and Netanyahu were picking off Saudi Arabia. But because the crown prince of incest saw that the prior government in Israel was weak and capitulating to Iran, as well as Biden, and that Biden is weak and capitulating to everybody, well, the Saudis said, we're going to go with the winners in their mind, and that was Russia, China, and Iran. It's a shocking development in the Middle East. And Biden has driven Xi and Putin together, not because of Ukraine, because of Biden. They see weakness. And when monsters and genocidal maniacs see weakness, they act. We've talked about this for years. That is precisely what's taking place here. Um, And it's quite troubling. Despite people's efforts to put it behind them. The Daily Mail, Xi Jinping delivers a chilling message for the West as he tells dear friend Vladimir Putin, quote, change is coming that hasn't happened in a hundred years and we are driving it, unquote. And that's on the same day today, Putin said the UK risked, quote, nuclear collision with its aid to Ukraine. Well, these guys are making threats. And the answer isn't, well, it's our fault, we provoked them, let's get the hell out of providing aid and so forth. No, no, that is going to cause them to keep moving forward. Please take care, dear friend, added Xi, gripping the Kremlin leader's hand warmly before being waved off by the Russian despot who bid Xi a safe journey. After the two leaders hailed a new era, Xi's plane left Moscow's airport on Wednesday. He was seen off by a guard of honor who played the Russian and Chinese national anthems. In February 2022, the pair announced they had forged a no-limits friendship, and Putin invited Xi to visit the Russian capital. They've since publicly talked of strengthening their special relationship. With Moscow and Beijing both rejecting what they say are U.S. attempts to create a unipolar world controlled by Washington. You know what? They both sound more and more like the Putinoids in America, don't they, Mr. Producer? America. We're the warmongers. It's our fault. It's the fault of our defense industry. Or the neocons. It's our fault. Come on already. What do these two goons have to say that will grab people, grab their attention? Their unsettling farewell message came just hours after Putin vowed to respond to British plans to send ammunition containing depleted uranium to Ukraine as Moscow warned the risk of nuclear collision was increasing. 
Russian despot raged against Britain's decision to provide Kiev's troops with Challenger 2 battle tanks and depleted uranium ammunition, arguing it marked a step towards using weapons with a nuclear component. No, it's depleted uranium ammunition. There's no nuclear component. Tank shells containing the radioactive material more dense, enhancing their capability to penetrate thick layers of armor. But depleted uranium can cause serious radiation damage if it enters the body. If it enters the body. Are we talking about tank shells here, Mr. Producer? Do you shoot tank shells at a body? Do you shoot them at buildings and other tanks? Anyway, that's, that's that. Anybody concerned about it? No, come on, Mark. Come on! What's this have to do with us? Come on! If people don't act now and pay attention now, they will later. To their great chagrin. And I know full well that all these putinoids and all these hosts on radio and TV who take an opposite position, they will reposition themselves as they always do. See, I told you. I told you we should have done X, Y, and they never do. They always, well, they're unencumbered with the truth. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know Greg on Fox, Greg uh, Gutfield, Mr. Producer? Greg Gutfield says he doesn't know how to pronounce my name. What's so hard? It's not Levin. Yeah, yeah. It's not Levin. It's not Levine. It's Levin. Or just say Mark if it's too complicated to remember. And so until he says Levin, I will say Gutfield. But he is a great show. His nightly show is great. I watch it a lot. And I think my favorite guest... Nah, that'll get me in trouble. One of my favorite guests is Tyrus. Can I put it that way? I think I shall. He's great. Then I look into his background. This guy was a serious professional wrestler. One of the biggest, most mammoth in the history of the sport. And there have been big men. Seven foot four, Andre the Giant. He's 6'9", 6'10", but he is a big man. And they're all big in that 
sport. And don't tell me it's not a sport. Of course, the outcome is known in advance to the to the wrestlers and so forth. It's all planned. But the activities in the ring and on the ropes and outside the ring, you have to be an athlete. You have to be a top athlete to do that stuff. You really do. You really do. I had many, many years ago. My mother's cousin, I don't know what that would make him to me. But he was 6'5", he was a big, strong guy. And his brother was even bigger, 6'7", and they both served in the Army. Perhaps the Marines, but I think it was the Army. I was a little kid, so I don't remember. And he was a professional wrestler. And he would later become a common pleas court judge in Philadelphia, like a, uh, a, 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 a uh, trial judge. And... Um, Smart as can be. His last name was Reuben. And he'd go into the ring, Sammy Reuben, with the uh, Star David on his cape. And he only did it for a few years. But I remember my mother's father, my grandfather, who was a Marine and fought at Iwo Jima. He took us and my brothers to the Philadelphia Arena at the time to watch these guys. And we watched Toro Tanaka, who was unbelievable. And some of the old-timers. And it was a blast. It was a lot of fun, I must confess. It's a lot of fun. So why am I talking about this? I don't have the foggiest idea. I don't have the foggiest idea, but I enjoy it. What can I say? Maybe that's why I'm attracted to MMA now. I'm like obsessed with it. I got Sean involved in it. This is years and years ago. Like I told you, I used to watch this stuff when it wasn't sanctioned by anybody. When they basically had uh, chicken fence, chicken wire with these fences around. Uh, I guess it, it was still around a, 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 some, some form of a stage. And it was mostly held outside. And I'm not talking, you know, when they had like an 800-pound guy fighting a 68-pound guy. But later, when they actually had weight classes and they were trying to professionalize it as much as they could, that's when I remember watching it. What's that, 20 years ago? I don't know. But I love watching that, too. And I've told you before, I love Watching people do things that I can't do and never have done. I'll give you one more example. Mark, get on with it. We will soon. I'm at a stop sign uh, this afternoon. And there are these guys, and it's a pretty big house. It's pretty up there in terms of its height, who are putting on a new roof. And they're putting the shingles on. They're fearless. Absolutely fearless. With their, with their, you know, with their nail gun. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, I've seen it before, but it always amazes me. It just does. All right, enough of that. When we come back, very, very important guest, Jim Trusty, one of President Trump's lawyers involved in the document case. Going to have a talk with Jim. And after that, Ian Pryor one of the great leaders of the parents movement against these uh, these totalitarian school boards i'll be right back 
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. We're here with Jim Trusty. Dare I say, a former federal prosecutor, but a good one at that. And one of President Trump's lawyers in this preposterous document case. Jim, it's good to have you. I have a question, Jim. Have you ever seen a federal appellate panel move as quickly as the D.C. panel moved in the last 24 hours to uphold a decision by an Obama judge who resigned immediately after she issues her decision, retires, getting behind attorney-client privilege and demanding lawyers' notes. I've never seen anything like this. Have you? Uh, I haven't. Um, You know, the speed is not a total surprise because you're talking about efforts at, uh, you know, emergency relief, and sometimes courts can be pretty fast-moving. But, you know, it, it goes to the heart of the problem across the country right now when it involves President Trump, which is, you know, is he being treated radically different than any other person subjected to an investigation. And, and, you know, I I look no further than New York and you kind of know the answer, but, uh, but it's of concern. You know, I I think you have to take a long run view of this thing and recognize that we need to have rule of law, not rule of political persuasion. So, uh, you know, believe me, I'm I'm with you in terms of having those types of concerns about uh, different people kind of closing ranks at the expense of president Trump because of who he is. This judge, Friday issues a sealed decision on information that is shared secretly between the prosecutors, your team, and the court. The court makes a decision. She puts it under seal. If it gets out, it can be extremely damaging to President Trump. It can affect the jury pool and so forth and so on. What does a a lawyer like you, what what does a lawyer like you do about that? Do you file some kind of a motion? Do you seek some kind of contempt? Do you demand some kind of investigation? She's gone now, the judge. Well, so the le- a couple of things, Mark. I mean, number one, no matter how many times people are leaking things to serve their own cause, I can't do it. Uh, you know, I still am bound by the rules, even if it's on billboards across the country, what's happening in sealed proceedings. So 
I have to kind of tread carefully, and, and that's because I've grown up in a criminal justice system that takes that stuff seriously. The, the problem is when it's DOJ or FBI engaged in leaking, they're the same people that would have to investigate it. And so it's just realistically, it's not going to happen. And it would take some you know, real severe, I think, involvement from the court, you know, really hard pushing by the court or even independent counsel to get to the point where you're talking about a leak investigation. I know I, I would welcome it because uh, I think there's been an awful lot of really intentional, self-serving, violative behavior uh, that's come out of this case. Again, it goes back to that whole notion of a, of a different system of justice when they're going after President Trump. So it's very frustrating. And, and let me just say this too, Mark, you mentioned ex parte. I mean, it's understood under the law that the prosecutors don't have to share everything when they're investigating somebody. You know, they want to have grand jury secrecy, at least selectively in this case. And they're going to do things that aren't shared with the counsel uh, from the other side of the equation or interested counsel. But, you know, in something as historic as going after a candidate for the presidency, a current president authorizing that, and something as historic as piercing attorney-client privilege, which, although it happens, it's exceedingly rare, I mean, these are the types of things where, as attorneys for the president, we desperately want to know the facts, not just to know the facts, but to know how they're being presented or misrepresented. And I can tell you, we've had instances in this investigation, unfortunately, I can't talk about it specifically, but instances where we've, we've caught them red-handed at being less than candid with the court. And so that's very frustrating to only get a glimpse and see things that are wrong and know that there's, you know, bushels worth of paper that, that have other information. My, my my problem is if this prosecutor has all this information from Corcoran, has notes from Corcoran, it's almost like Corcoran's being forced to assist the prosecution at the direction of the judge. Then you have a panel on the circuit court. I didn't see who was on this panel because it's not in the media. And... Um, now you're going to have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, how do you get your day in court? How do you have due process? There's a damn document case for crying out loud. So I'm just wondering. People yeah, are asking me, and I don't know the answer. Well, look, there, there's probably uh, not a – there's no silver bullet answer, I guess, is the way I'd put it. There's not some, uh, you know, obvious, immediate, oh, if they only filed this motion, everything would get cleared up. I mean – we're in this kind of strange territory of litigating a lot of things behind the scenes where there's not public disclosure or at least not full public disclosure and not even any sort of discovery. So, you know, we on our side do our best to kind of find out what the government is learning, find out where they're headed, identify what their theories might be, and then fight where there's appropriate fights. And obviously, if you're talking about privileges, whether it's executive privilege, attorney client privilege, work product privilege, you know, these are important principles that shouldn't be thrown out just because it's a, quote, important case. And so, you know, all I can tell your listeners is, you know, we're on it. We're in the fight. We have a lot of uh, daily struggles that we're dealing with in terms of, uh, of making sure or trying to make sure that our client is treated like any other American. Um, and we're going to stay in the fight. So, you know, that's, unfortunately, I'm kind of handcuffed in terms of how far I can get right. into the details. But, yeah. you know. That's, that's where we are. That's understood. All right, so my next question to you, and first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You're always great. No, thank you. Have you. Many, 
You have many years of practice. I mean, have you ever seen overkill like this? I mean, it's not like the documents were sold to the enemy or burned in a fireplace or shredded. Or, you had the Secret Service there. I mean, so, seriously? You, I mean, you, you, the, you don't have to say yes or no. The reports that you're getting serve sta- service staff and all kinds of people, that more than one lawyer, and, everything, and I'm thinking, what, what are you chasing here? I know you're trying to concoct some obstruction thing, but isn't this overkill? Yeah, I, I mean, look, my, my humble opinion is it's absolutely overkill. I was in some form of prosecutor's office for 27 years, and a good chunk of that dealing with, you know, very serious violent crime, murders, uh, RICO cases, you know, kind of the creme de la creme of, of uh, importance to the community. And you know, I considered myself pretty aggressive, and I certainly have had opportunities to manage aggressive prosecutors over the years, but, you know, there's there's degree. And in this case, the flavoring we see, whether it's misleading the court, whether it's uh, going after the attorneys left and right, going after the funding for the attorneys, putting people in grand jury on a minute's notice, you know, making them come up from Florida. And we're, and we're not talking about a bunch of uh, sophisticated businessmen or lawyers that are being dragged into the grand jury, although we have some of that. We're talking about dozens of people that have jobs like being the assistant groundskeeper at Mar-a-Lago or being... A, an administrative assistant. I mean, people that are being intimidated by an FBI and a DOJ that's hell bent on coming up with something to make President Donald Trump somehow distinguishable from everything that happened up in Delaware with Biden. So uh, the, the level of intimidation, of lack of courtesy, of accusation, of grand jury, I think abuse in some instances. Uh, stepping over different privileges that apply for every other citizen. I mean, all of that is a picture of government excess, and it's because of who the target is. Are you, if you can't answer, I get it. I'm, I'm trying to walk a fine line with you, too, here, because I know the situation here. And so my question is, are you dealing with a prosecutor in the case of this Jack Smith who's who's independently making these decisions or is he reporting, to the best of your knowledge, is he reporting to the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, the public integrity section that he used to run and so forth? Do you know how this is working right now or no? Uh, a little yes and a little no. I mean, no, I don't have, uh, you know, kind of inside baseball insight to exactly what their chain of command or chain of communications are on any given issue. So, no, I don't know the daily operations. They have kind of an endless cast of prosecutors jumping in. at at different moments in this case. But I can tell you this. I mean, the overall structure is that, yes, Jack Smith has come in. He's come in midstream when it comes to the Mar-a-Lago investigation and with a little bit of of people that he's brought in, but mostly the same exact same people that were investigating President Trump under Garland. You know, and, and then suddenly there's a need for special counsel, but it's the same people just with different email addresses. So it's kind of a weird thing. It's not like Smith came in and created a whole new fresh team to look at it. He took the people that were already gung-ho working on this thing. But ultimately, all roads lead to the attorney general. I mean, that is the guy that makes the decisions. That's the guy that went out and did a press conference for the first time in history to announce that he wanted a warrant and an inventory to be publicized to embarrass the president. And so, you know, we're seeing a chain of command that sounds like it's special and separate and, and individualized away from political influence. But 
it's all ultimately landing on the attorney general for the decision making. And from everything I've seen in this attorney general, that's a problem. Bear with me. That was a sneeze. Anyway. Um, Bless you. Thank you, my friend. Where do, where do we go from here? Or you don't know since they're calling the shots. I mean, it's, how complicated is it? I mean, it's it's not that complicated of a case. Um, why does he keep taking testimony? Why is he insisting? You know, it's interesting, Jim. If you look at the case they lost against uh, John Edwards, obviously having nothing to do with documents per se, the head of the public integrity section was Smith. And they were embarrassed by that case. One of the things they tried to do is what this Bragg is doing. They tried to make a case out of a non-existent law and change the law, and even the jury wouldn't buy it. In that case, you know, the federal campaign law. And um, he lost that case. Uh, it was one, one count uh, not guilty and five counts hung jury, and then the Justice Department decided to drop the case. So you have overreach there, but one of the things he learned there was one of the defenses Edwards had was, and I went back and read this, um, I was following the advice of my lawyers. And I think that's one of the reasons he went in there and wanted to get behind attorney-client privilege, because he's thinking from his perspective, I don't want to get burned again from this. What do you think? That's an interesting theory. Um, I, I guess the way I would, I would frame it is a, a, you know, not, not dismissive of that at all, but maybe move in a slightly different direction. You know, it is a unusually aggressive mode for any prosecutor to put in multiple attorneys that represent the person that they are investigating. And that's happened here. You know, we're not bound by secrecy to, to not acknowledge that that's happened. So that's a starting point that's extremely aggressive, whether they're looking to ultimately disqualify attorneys that know the case or whether they're trying to just send a tough guy message. You know, I don't know. But there's another thing that's kind of consistent with that that we've seen, which, again, it's permissible under the law, but there's a lot of room for discretion in this world of prosecutors. And, and sometimes the discretion in this case seems to be missing. What they're doing is they're bringing in witnesses that they think might have something helpful or might want to have something helpful for President Trump. And they're trying to lock them out. In other words, they put them in grand jury, put them under oath and try to get them to. Uh, you know, acknowledge that they don't have smoking gun information to exonerate the president. And it's a very aggressive technique. It's not unlawful, but it's just another one of these clues that there are no limits and no real uh, exercises of discretion they are going to ever kick in on this case. They're going to be discourteous, aggressive, uh, you know, go, go to the limit because they feel like this is the target where they have to like call, you know, call in every sort of, uh, exercise of power they can to make it work. So, uh, you know, I don't know 100% about kind of the, the uh, advice of counsel defense being locked out, but there's certainly instances where they're taking witnesses who are clearly friendly to the president and trying to put them before the grand jury to lock them into an account that's not as helpful. Yeah, and a lot of people get scared and they're thinking, okay, they don't have counsel in there. Let me give them what they want. I don't want them coming after me. I'm just being honest about human behavior and so forth. And you're right, they're locking in their testimony, but he's going after the lawyers, he's going after the people who surround Donald Trump where he lives, 
It doesn't matter how low they are on the uh, on the ladder. Uh, and he's making it very, very difficult to get the kind of representation. I mean, obviously, you're superb, but I mean, the, the kind of fulsome representation without intimidation uh, that most individuals have a right to. And Jim, I want to thank you very, very much. And I'm very, very glad you're there for the uh, for the president. Now, well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep hanging in there and fighting the fight. But thanks for shining a light on all this stuff. All right. God bless you, my friend. Take care of yourself. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, you heard what Jim Trusty could tell us, going after the lawyers around Trump, going after the staff around Trump. It's a document case. It's disgusting. This is a former president gets no respect whatsoever from the Biden administration. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's in the clear, even though he's a complete crook, I've concluded. Complete crook. Whole damn family. All these threats about suing people, of course, they sued the laptop guy. But they haven't sued anybody over libel because they don't want discovery. You can counterclaim and have a field day. Cato Cruz. Ever hear Cato Cruz? He's a federal trial court nominee, federal district court nominee by Joe Biden. He's another person who doesn't know a hell of a lot about the position he's being nominated for, the federal bench. Cut 12, go. Tell me how you analyze a Brady motion. How I analyze a Brady motion? Yes. Uh, Senator, in my uh, four and a half years on the bench, I don't believe I've had the occasion to uh, address a Brady uh, motion in my career. Do you know what a Brady motion is? Uh, <laughs> Senator... Uh, in my right, time on. on the bench. I'm Senator not- Kennedy is a killer at some point. He has some basic stuff. We discussed Brady a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but I love, you know what Article 2 is? You know what Article 5 is? I-, I don't believe so. Because Biden is nominating hacks, ideologues, political hacks to the court. Go ahead. To address that, and so uh, it's not coming to mind at the moment what a Brady motion is. Um. Do you recall the U.S. Supreme Court case, Brady v. Maryland? Uh, I do recall uh, the name of the case, the senator, yes. And what did it hold? I believe that the uh, Brady case, uh, in, well, Senator, I believe the Brady case involves something regarding the Second Amendment. It is no, not, it doesn't. Not He's thinking of uh, James Brady, who was shot. Uh, during the assassination attempt against uh, President Reagan. Brady is the case we discussed, Brady versus Maryland. If there's wrongdoing by federal agents, you have a right 
you have standing to litigate and to raise those charges against them. It's that simple. But he didn't know what it was. It's very well known amongst those of us who practice law. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Ian Pryor is a great patriot who's trying to save the country, trying to save our kids. One of the, uh, one of the great leaders of the parents' movement against these uh, autocratic school boards. Ian, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Ian has a fantastic new book out. Certainly every parent and grandparent should get it. Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Since this really started and you got involved in this, Ian, has it gotten better or worse over the last few months? Well, you know, I think it really depends on on the state you live in, and I think it depends on the elected officials you have. I mean, one of the things that I've been encouraged to see is, you know, some of these states passing laws banning, you know, these these surgeries for children, um, states passing school choice, you know, really making progress that that you haven't seen in the education realm in a while. And, And I credit that to, you know, the parents out there that have been pushing back really for the past three years. I mean, Certainly the left has been at it for decades, and, and three years isn't going to fix the damage that they've done. But it's certainly a good start. And, you know, this book really chronicles how we were able to really shine a light in Loudoun County public schools, which, you know, ultimately had an impact in the Virginia gubernatorial race. And I think, you know, shone a light for, for the rest of the country on how they can push back on their own schools. And I've been encouraged to see, you know, parents taking up that mantle everywhere in the country. Do you find that the parents' movement is vibrant and growing? That is... uh, I do. It's going to be very effective in the future? I do. You know, I see no signs of it waning. You know, obviously the the House GOP has introduced this parents' bill of rights, but, you know, you're seeing throughout the country different groups popping up. I mean, there is no shortage of of parents that are reaching out to me on, on a near daily basis with issues in their school, asking for advice on, you know, best approaches to handle their their woke school board or their woke school superintendent. And, you know, you can't get on social media or or look at the news without, you know, a new issue happening in at some school board meeting or at some some school district in America. And, you know, certainly the the weaponization report yesterday, I think, was a a vindication for parents where, you know, it, it essentially concluded that the NSBA, the White House, and Merrick Garland colluded, you know, on this this memo from Attorney General Garland two years ago to to label parents as domestic terrorists, really to try and help Terry McAuliffe in Virginia two years ago because this parents movement was so hurting his chances and ultimately doomed them. And the report concludes also, uh, having checked with the U.S. attorney's offices around the country through Landmark Legal, actually, that um, there was no increase in attacks or crimes that merited this this memo at all. Isn't this shocking? It is, and it, it should frighten every American that, you know, you could weaponize the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of Justice, you know, along with this, this left-wing National School Board Association, which, you know, I don't know if it's defunct now, but certainly a bunch of uh, state school board associations pulled out to save face, although I'm sure they have the same philosophies. 
you know, the fact that they could they could mobilize that quickly over something that was nothing. You know, you look at these school board meetings across the country and, yeah, you're going to see some fiery rhetoric, but you're not going to see people you know, charging up there and committing acts of violence. And, and if they did, that is a local issue that should be handled by local police and county sheriffs, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. You uh, you have a background in media, and this is a fantastic book because you're not only discussing the problems, chapter after chapter, you're telling people, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to investigate, you need to activate, you you need to understand that there's a media out there, you need to prepare for that, and this is how you fight the school board, and on and on and on. So this is not just a book about what's taking place, this is a book that's about action orientation, correct? Yeah, that's right. And each chapter, there are 12 chapters, and we structure it so that each chapter is, you know, a bit of a strategic philosophical rule that, that we applied in the situation, but is certainly applicable to, to every school district in the country, no matter what you're doing. I mean, I like to think of this as Sun Tzu's Art of War for Parents, which, of course, will get me flagged by Merrick Garland, but so be it. That's probably yeah. already the case. Yeah, don't yeah. worry about that. The idea, <laughs> yeah, the idea being that, you know, parents can utilize this not just to look at these strategies or these practical ideas on, you know, how to get the message out to the media, how to work with reporters, how to send Freedom of Information Act requests, how to set up an organization legally to make sure you're, you know, you're getting your donations processed properly, but also to get them thinking about their own strategies and tactics and to really crowdsource that among the parents of this country, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take, you know, successes and failures and learning from those successes and failures and sharing them with others so that they can replicate what's been done. It's a very, very important and substantive book. It is a how-to book, as well as a, uh, a book about recent history, the things that have taken place starting really, I guess the battleground began in Loudoun County and then it spread across the country. And the title of the book is a takeoff on the Communist Manifesto. Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda, Ian Pryor's who we're talking to. You can get it on Amazon.com right now. The book is brand new today. You can get it in any major bookstore. I want to encourage you to get it. And what I typically do with a book like this, honestly, is I get more than one and I hand them out. That's how important it is. And um, let me ask you this. Um, Are state legislatures doing enough and governors, Republican governors, doing enough to control what's going on in the classroom as a rule? There's some we know who are great. Yeah, I mean, I think some are. I think I think others aren't. Um, and certainly it falls upon the states, not the federal government, to really manage what is going on in the states. Because, you know, look, if you put the federal government in charge of this, that, that might go great when you have a, a presidential administration that is favorable towards parental rights. But, you know, what happens when you get the Biden administration? You know, it's not going to go well. So it really falls upon the states to enforce their constitutions, to enforce their laws, and to pass new laws. I mean, for example, you know, there are states out there that have um, statutory parental rights protections, but there's no enforcement mechanisms. And that's one of the problems we see from, from state to state, and certainly even in the federal um, statute, the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, there's no enforcement mechanism for parents to take these school districts to court. So, I mean, we need all kinds of things. We need transparency of lessons plans, curriculum, teacher trainings, 
books in the library, books in the classroom library. But we need more than that. We need an enforcement mechanism so that we can bring schools to court and hold them accountable for these things. And then you might actually see some changes in what they're doing. And you've seen that when you have the right attorney general in a state like Virginia and some of these other states like Florida and also the use of Freedom of Information Act. I think that's one of the most important vehicles, is it not? Yeah, it really is. I mean, a lot of a lot of what we were able to to come up with. I mean, my I sent my first Freedom of Information Act request in, I think, August of 2020. And I, I document the actual request that I sent. And what I was able to uncover, and this really set me down the path, was, you know, Loudoun County Public Schools hired an equity consultant to do an equity audit at a, at a cool half a million dollars paid in 2019. And then we later learned they stayed on contract at $625 an hour for two years to implement these equity programs. So FOIA is a useful tool. One of the things with FOIA, too, and I've been thinking about this lately, is encouraging parents to learn how to bring FOIA lawsuits pro se. Um, they can be expensive to you know, hire a lawyer, but schools are going to catch on and they're going to start denying these FOIA requests for you know, every possible exception that they can come up with, basically challenging you to bring them to court. But you know, lots of parents have the ability to go out there and, and challenge them pro se in court and win. So I think that's a, a next step in how parents can enforce their rights. The book is Parents of the World Unite. You can get it on Amazon.com right now. It's brand new, right off the printing press. You can get it in any major bookstore. Those of you who are curious about it ought to get it. Those of you who have children definitely better get it, and grandchildren. This is a very, very big deal. And, uh, and Ian brings all his knowledge to the fore here. And, and he's not just sitting back as a scholar and writing about it. He is involved in this day in and day out. How are you involved in this day in and day out? Well, you know, I'll tell you, obviously, during the in 2021 and 2022, much of that is documented in the book. I mean, we in 2021, we launched a major petition gathering um, event to, to try and remove some school board members. And we were successful in a little bit of that. But we, we got over twenty five thousand signatures. And what that the real importance of that were, was twofold. One, we got to talk to thousands of parents across our school district to get information, to understand what was happening at the different schools and from teachers, too. I mean, teachers can be a very good resource. They're in there. They're not protected, um, but they're often willing to share their information with with parents to to allow them to act. In 2022, I mean, we really dug in through our FOIA requests. Um, targeting the, the sexual assault that were co- the sexual assault that was covered up in 2021 that resulted in the second one, and we tried to get as much information out as possible into the public domain uh, that we were able to discover through both FOIAs and our own intelligence networks in the school system. So we did, we've done that locally, nationally. You know, I speak to parents all across the country, and a lot of the things you're hearing about mostly right now are bathroom policies where. You know, a, a girl will go into a bathroom that, that there's a biological boy using it. The parent complains and the school says, well, you know, your daughter can just use a single use bathroom or go see the mental health team. Well, you know, that sounds a lot like sex discrimination to me. The other thing that we hear a lot about is schools and their their policies that are never voted on, by the way, um, that where they keep secrets from parents. If a, if a child comes in and says, you know, I want to I want to identify as a different sex today. They won't tell the parents. Parents are frustrated with that. They're trying to take action. You know, at America First Legal, where I work, that's one of the things, one of the areas we're focused on is, is taking these actions to court. Um, those are the two things I hear most, but certainly a lot of parents 
all over the country seeking advice on how best to operationalize so that they can execute their own strategies and tactics. By the way, full disclosure, my wife Julie has worked there as well, and it's a great organization that is fighting a lot of these battles. Your book is endorsed by a number of heavy hitters, Don Trump Jr., Pete Hegseth, Ben Carson, Elise Stefanik, Duke Gingrich. Did you ever think you'd be in a position like this, uh, fighting this particular battle? I never did. I mean, it was really two years ago that that I, I was activated, so to speak. And, you know, it came in, in my own community where, you know, you had these, these far-left activist parents that, that, you know, wanted to cancel parents for going to school board meetings and, and speaking up on policies. And um, I found myself as one of those parents, and I just said, you know, not, not on my watch. <laughs> I'm not going to let that happen. I, you know, I don't want our school system building um, mentally weak children that become mentally weak adults that seek to, you know, always make excuses and then bully others for having a different point of view. And, you know, at the top of your show, the introduction says liberals hate this show. Well, you know, one of the one of the jokes I make uh, right now is that I think that when people buy this book, they should they should buy an extra copy for, you know, their woke neighbor or their woke cousin Mm -hmm. and get that copy before April Fool's Day as a joke, because they're going to hate this book because it really exposes, you know, what they are up to and, and their mindset. The book is great. It's very, very important for as many parents and grandparents and teachers who are serious people, those who are, uh, to get their hands on it. It really is uh, fascinating, and I like the way you write it. It's it's written rule number one, rule number two. Rule, it's it's very, very well done, very under, uh, easy to understand. The book is Parents of the World Unite, How to Save Our Schools from the Left's Radical Agenda. Parents of the World Unite, go on Amazon.com right now and grab your copy. You'll have it by tomorrow or the next day, and I would devour it and then share it with somebody else, and I would bring it to school board meetings. But look, you don't have to be somebody with, a, with an 8-year-old. You can be like me, 65 years old, and read this and be thinking about your grandkids and the future of the country. The left is. That's why they're in the classroom to begin with. And Ian Pryor is there. He's eyeballing the situation. He's uniting forces against it. And his book is extremely worthwhile. Parents of the World, unite. Go to Amazon.com, any major bookstore. I want to congratulate you on a great book and wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Mark, and thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for being here. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's not only time to shut the crap operation in Manhattan down, but it's time that an ethics charge be brought against Bragg. It's time that these rogue prosecutors, these rogue Democrat prosecutors, have to defend themselves and their own careers and their own licenses and hopefully spend their own money. They need to be treated as they treat others. I want to salute all you heroes out there. All of you folks in the audience, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Tomorrow's another day. Let's do it together. God bless you. <laughs>